Hello and welcome to another episode of the Simple Faith Podcast. My name is Dave Betts and together with my wife Shreya, we've been on a journey to explore all the things that make our faith what it is. We're trying to strip away all of those unnecessarily churchy or intellectual words which can sometimes just confuse masses a little bit and instead we're focusing on what we like to call authentic Christianity for normal people. If you're new to the show, we've covered topics ranging from uh, an overview of the Bible to myths about the church. We've looked at a biblical response to LGBT. We've looked at dating apps. We've looked at tattoos and swearing and how to find your calling from God. We've looked at suffering and grief and depression, and we've looked at a whole lot more. So I'd really love to encourage you to check those out if you haven't listened to them yet. But uh, for the last month or so, we've actually been looking at divine healing uh, with my friend Simon Argent. Uh, Hopefully you found it as helpful as I did to look at that and to study what the Bible says about healing. But now we're going to take a look at the history of the church as we know it. Now, I've had a real privileged opportunity in the last uh, 10 years or so to visit churches all over the world. So I spent three months at a mega church in Singapore. I've visited an Orthodox church in Athens, uh, a monastery in Albania, a Pentecostal church in Brisbane, a church plant in a farmhouse in France, and even actually a church in an old castle in Poland. Um, I got to help build a church in Kenya when I was about 17, which I complained about because I wasn't a Christian at the time. and I thought it was the most stupid thing ever. Ironically, God would then have me building his church as a career, as my full-time career. And uh, yeah, I got to visit the Sistine Chapel in Rome and not to mention all the churches in the UK and in the USA and in Canada and the ones that I've worked for. You know, that's just my experience. I recognize that that's probably more opportunities than than most, but that, the point is not to brag about the different churches I've seen. The point is this. I've been really blessed just to travel a tiny bit in my life. And even I have seen lots of different expressions of church. And here's the crazy thing. Every single one started with Jesus. Isn't that a really crazy thought? Every church you have Uh, seen in this world, every church you will ever encounter, wherever you're listening from, whether you're listening in India or South Korea or uh, South America or North America or Europe or whatever, wherever you're listening from, every church that you encounter, that little church on the street or even that big cathedral, it all started with Jesus. So the, the question is, how did the church reach throughout the world in such an incredible way? Why are there so many denominations? Who were some of the key players even in the last 2,000 years? Well, I think it's time for us to to look at that. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to attempt to answer some of those questions as best I can. I'm I'm obviously going to miss a lot of stuff. There is no way we can definitively cover like 2,000 years of history in a few weeks. So uh, please forgive me if I miss anything. But my hope is that if you've never ever studied church history before, you'll get to the end of the next few weeks understanding just a little bit more about how and why the church looks the way it does in the 21st century. So the plan is to do something similar to what we did with our overview of the Bible series right at the very beginning of this podcast. I'm going to take a really broad look at some of the major events of the last 2,000 years in this episode. And then what we'll do is we'll focus on some more specific time periods so that we can discuss some of this stuff in a bit more detail. So with all that in mind, let's jump in. So the history of the church as we know it begins with Jesus's death, 
resurrection and ascension. And if those terms are unfamiliar to you, do check out our Bible overview series. And we actually even have an episode specifically dedicated to the ascension of Jesus. So be sure to take a look if you want to know what that means. But that's the pivotal point. That's the the center point of our faith. That's where everything begins. Seven weeks after Jesus's crucifixion, the Holy Spirit is poured out on 120 disciples at Pentecost. This is Acts chapter 2. And then after that, Peter leads the way from there and 3,000 or so are added to this movement very quickly. They become what are known as the Jesus followers. And the church spreads throughout most of the major cities in the Roman Empire, including Antioch, which is the third biggest city in the empire at the time. And it becomes something of a a missionary center. So Saul is around and he becomes Paul and he's converted and uh, we're familiar with who Paul is. He wrote most of the New Testament and his ministry for the gospel is just enormous. You see, he's not just Jewish, but he's also a Roman citizen and he's really well educated in the Greek language and uh, Greek philosophy and thought. So he is perfectly placed in that uh, moment in that time to spread the gospel around the known world. And he does that uh, by 66 AD, about 33 years or so after Jesus is crucified. The Jews revolt against the Romans and they held their own for around four years, but eventually they capitulated, which is unsurprising when you think about how powerful the Romans were. And by this time, most of the original apostles are dead and the church kind of moves into this new phase of existence. And by the way, most of the apostles, you may know this or you may not, uh, were martyred for their faith. So for example, church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. And apparently Paul was beheaded. And actually the only apostle who we believe died of natural causes was John in about 100 AD. So from 70 AD, Christianity continued to spread throughout the Roman Empire as far as um, Britain and Carthage, uh, which, by the way, Carthage was kind of North Africa and perhaps some people think even as far as India. So this is where we get the word Catholic from. It's not a denomination originally, but it was actually the idea that the church was universal by this point. That's what Catholic actually means. It's the universal church, the Catholic church. So when Jerusalem did fall in 70 AD, the center of Christianity began to move north and then eventually west towards Rome. And this is where we start to see the beginnings of where the Pope came from and how the Vatican ended up being where it is. But that's a long way away yet. Uh, The persecution that Christians faced from people like Nero, if you're familiar with him, and uh, people like that in Rome was awful, but it also went a long way to actually promote the Christian faith as well as weeding out people who weren't really believers, which is so true today even. You know, it's when we face challenges and persecution, you find out where your faith is is really at. So then we jump forward to around 190 AD and the church forms this version of the Bible known as the Muraturian Canon which uh, wasn't exactly the same as our Bibles today, but it was pretty close. So within 200 years of Jesus's death, resurrection and ascension, we have uh, the church exploding around much of the known world. And we have what is the beginnings of the first full Bible. So there's a lot of other things happening. And uh, for the sake of time, we're going to kind of jump around some of these things and we'll get to the next key event just over 100 years later. So we're nearly 300 years after Jesus's death, resurrection and ascension and Emperor Constantine is in charge of Rome. So he was radically converted to Christianity. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Constantine became a Christian in quite a big way. And as you can imagine, if the emperor of the Roman Empire was Christian, 
lots of people would follow suit. So some of them were genuine and some of them were probably just doing it for political favor. But uh, because he became a Christian, that caused the church to explode even more. So in 330 AD, he moved from Rome to a place called Byzantium and he renamed it in his name, Constantinople. So you might think, well, where's Constantinople? Well, in 1930, it was renamed Istanbul in modern day Turkey. So the the power base of the, the empire moved from Rome to Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. So you have this kind of the remnants in the West, and then you have this new kingdom that was being built in the East. Keep that in mind. We'll get back to that in a second. By 380 AD, the emperor Theodosius made sure that Christianity was, uh, it was a commanded religion. So it was no longer just an optional religion. It was a commanded religion of the empire. And about a decade before this happens, the, the Bible starts to look an awful lot like the one we have today, thanks to someone called Athanasius. And around this time also, one of the most influential philosophers of all time was at work. It was a man called Aurelius Augustinus who we now know as Augustine. So there's a lot of important thought coming on, philosophical and in Augustine's case, Christian thought happening. So in those first 400 years, a lot of things are happening in relation to the church. It's a big deal. Uh, for example, over these centuries, there were also a lot of special council meetings. They were called councils, which helped establish the theology and the truth of the church. So for example, in 451 AD, the council at Chalcedon affirmed that Christ was both fully God and fully man. So that's something that we would take for granted now that God was fully God and fully man. But at this council, 451 AD, it took a long time and a lot of debate and a lot of study of the Bible to come to that conclusion. Okay, so we're 450 years in. And the question is, what does the leadership of the church look like at this point? Well, there was a few prominent bishops that essentially ran the church. And in the same way as today, most of the prominent leaders of the church movements are in big cities. It was the same back then. So you had one bishop in Constantinople where the emperor was, makes sense. They were close to the, the, the power, the, the center place of the empire. There was one in Rome because Rome was still such a prominent city and also because the church was incredibly established there. Then there was one in Alexandria, which was the intellectual base of the, the known world in many ways. And then there was one in Antioch, the missionary base of the known world, and then Jerusalem, which was kind of an honorary position because Jerusalem was such an important place to the Christian faith. So we have those five prominent bases. We have one in Constantinople, Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. And so already by this time, there are strains, there are power struggles between some of these bases, particularly between Constantinople in the east and Rome in the west. Tuck that away because that is going to cause some real problems in its few centuries to come. And around this time, there are already strains between Constantinople in the east and Rome in the west. Let's recap what we've covered so far. So after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension and the events at Pentecost, the church uh, explodes into life and it spreads quickly amidst a whole bunch of persecution until Constantine, who was the emperor at the time, became a Christian. The Bible was established and then there was growing tensions around the leadership of the church. And some looked to the bishop of Constantinople in the east and others looked to the bishop of Rome in the west. And something is rumbling. 
So again, lots of stuff happens. We don't have time to cover it all in this episode, but around 600 AD, we see the very beginnings of what we now know as Europe. So things are changing rapidly in the area, the region of Europe. And similarly, around this time, Muhammad, the founder of Islam, is growing a huge following in the East, in Arabia. So we have lots of chess pieces moving before we get to some serious conflict coming up. Jerusalem and Damascus, key areas to the Christian faith, kind of fall to the Muslims. And by the 8th century, some people believe as many as half of all Christians in the world live under Islamic rule. So, and for a while, that's okay. You know, for around 400 years, Christians were still able to make pilgrimages to worship at the birthplace of Jesus. That was Uh, It was still okay. It wasn't until around the 11th century that Muslims started to uh, persecute these Christian pilgrims. Pope Urban II declares what he calls the first crusade to take back the Holy Land. And it it actually started with really noble intentions. It started as a war for justice and uh, a quest to defend the lives of innocent people. It was a, a good uh, a good-spirited thing, but unfortunately, it didn't stay that way for very long. Uh, it turned into what the people felt was a conquest of the infidels and over seven crusades that spanned around 200 years, and which is mind-blowing to even comprehend. It became really one of the darkest periods of Christian history. There were uh, attacks against Jews, uh, rape and plunder of other Christians, which is just outrageous, some accounts of cannibalism, and even rumors of a crusade full of children in 1212. Although we have to be clear and say it's hard to know exactly what happened there. Those were rumors. We don't know if that's actually true. But the reality is the crusades never really achieved anything. They were never really successful in what they were doing, mainly because people got so distracted. Let me tell you about one more terrible event that happened during the Crusades. Uh, We're talking 1204 at this point, 1204 AD. Uh, This was the fourth crusade and the Western Crusaders uh, sent by Rome, they head into the Venetians. I think there were some financial issues. So they head to Venice and talk to the Venetians and uh, the Venetians persuade them, believe it or not, to attack Constantinople, which if you remember, was a Christian city. So I do need to mention that about 150 years before this happened, that divide between the Eastern and Western church that we'd already talked about, that divide between the bishop in Constantinople and the bishop in Rome had become so vast that the church split in an event that we now know as the Great Schism. This is where we get the Catholic church in the West and the Orthodox church in the East. You might be familiar with those terms, the Catholic church and the Orthodox church. But even with all that stuff rumbling on over the years, to attack other brothers and sisters in Christ is not a good thing. Now, there are rumors that the Pope in Rome wasn't particularly impressed with this, but who knows for sure. Uh, Constantinople never really recovered. And so the, the center of the Orthodox Church eventually moved to, I believe, Moscow, but I could be wrong there. So you've got Constantinople, which eventually becomes uh, Istanbul. And it's right as there is an outlier. It's being attacked from the West and it's being attacked from the East as the frontier of Europe by the Muslims. So it's not a, it's not a good place to be at that time. It took a long time to recover. So those were the Crusades. The Crusades happened and as the dust is settling, people are beginning to notice some issues. (laughs) I mean, it's not surprising really if you see Christians sacking other Christians in Constantinople, but people were beginning to notice that the huge riches of the church, the corruption and, you know, it's neglectful nature. And they're starting to say, hang on, something's not right here. And it's hard at this point, it's hard to rise up against the church, to speak out against the church because you could die for it. 
And so this went on for centuries. And in the 14th century, there was this real power struggle going on as well between the Pope and the monarchies of England and France. And again, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that we will maybe talk about in a few more weeks. But in the 14th century, there was a man called John Wycliffe. And he started to question the idea that uh, church was an organization that should be headed by the Pope. He was saying, essentially, well, hang on, Christ is the head of the church and Christ alone. And he, he questioned a lot of Catholic practices and started to gain a bit of support. And by the end of the 15th century, Martin Luther was born. And it, uh, as he jumps into the, the early 16th century, the reformation of the church began. This is a really key period for Protestant believers. You see, he began to protest and uh, reform some of the mis practices of the church, hence why we get the name Protestants and why this period is known as the Reformation. And even today, uh, apart from some cults, almost all Christian denominations either fit into these Catholic or Orthodox or Protestant categories. Those are the, the big three in terms of the Christian faith, again, unless you're talking about some cults. There, there's a ho- whole lot of fighting and persecution and lots of death around this time, around the, the 16th uh, 1600s. And uh, really, it's, it's a grisly time. You know, Catholics and Protestants do not get on. They passionately fight for their beliefs. And uh, the Lutherans, of course, uh, grow out of Martin Luther. That's where we get the Lutheran movement. And around this time, there are also lots of debates around uh, some theological issues. So over things like whether babies should be baptized within eight days of birth, kind of like circumcision was within eight days of birth, or whether baptism should follow a confession of faith in Jesus. So a baptism should only come when someone uh, can make that intellectual decision to say, actually, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. So the people who baptized Jesus, uh, babies actually labeled those other people Anabaptists, which basically was a derogatory term called meaning rebaptizers. So it was saying, hang on, you've already been baptized and you're being baptized again. You're a rebaptizer. You're a heretic, essentially. And and the direct descendants, the, the absolute most direct descendants of these Anabaptists are the Mennonites and the Hutterites. So I have a lot of good friends who are Mennonites. In fact, my wife Sherea grew up from a Mennonite background, and Baptists are kind of distantly descended from this movement too. Uh, but yeah, really, there's there's just this whole bunch of stuff going on during this time. So there's a guy called John Calvin who lived between uh, 1509 and 1564. And uh, John Calvin had a profound impact in shaping another Reformation tradition that we would now refer to as Reformed or quote unquote Calvinistic Christianity. And this And this is where we get denominations like Presbyterians and Baptists for sure. So there's a whole bunch going on. And there's still more. So in 1526, uh, Tyndale starts to smuggle the first copies of his English translations of the New Testament into England. You know, we take our, our Bibles for granted, but until this point, the Bible had been exclusively in other languages, uh, primarily Latin in the Catholic Church. So this was a huge deal. People could have their own Bible in their own language and not just rely on popes and bishops and or friars to tell them what the Bible said, which was risky because they could kind of make up what the Bible said at times as well. And perhaps sometimes they didn't even understand what it was that they were studying. And this whole thing, this whole period where the English Bibles were first coming into uh, use in, in England, it culminated in a whole bunch of persecution. But eventually in 1611, we get the King James Bible, which is still heavily used today. So it had a profound impact on the church. So during this time, there's a whole bunch of other things going on. There's so much going on. We're talking about the history of the last 2,000 years in the world. So there's, there's lots happening. 
Uh, the Portuguese are rapidly exploring the world and the Spaniards are following the discovery of America by Christopher Columbus. And there's a whole lot of bloodshed and brutality, which is not something to be proud of. But there was also a genuine passion to share the good news of Jesus. Some people even go as far as to say that there are missionaries on almost every ship. Although the reality is most of those missionaries, many of them at least, died on the way to where they were going to share the gospel. By the way, here's a really interesting trivia fact for you. There was a a bit of a rivalry between the Spanish and the Portuguese going on. And in order to avoid it, the Pope drew a line from the North Pole to the South Pole. And uh, on the West is where the Spanish were allowed to be. And in the East, the Portuguese were allowed to, to be. And this is actually why Brazil speaks Portuguese, but the rest of Latin America speaks Spanish. That's a crazy fact, right? That's just really weird that a Pope could just arbitrarily draw a line like that. But anyway, we're nearly there for today in terms of history. In the centuries that followed, we have the rise of modern science and we have a lot of wealth coming into the world, which enables people to devote much more time to things like philosophy and atheism begins to take hold. But there was also a massive spiritual renewal in Western Christianity that was uh, brought about by the Wesleys. And this is how the Methodist movement was formed. And uh, for the sake of time, we're going to jump ahead. We'll get to some of this stuff in the next few weeks. But by the end of the two world wars in the 20th century, faith in God was pretty profoundly shaken. And as humanity wrestled with things like communism and Nazism and consumerism, the Western world was becoming increasingly secular. And as the church flourishes elsewhere throughout the world, faith in the West, its kind of traditional base has certainly been shaken. And the question is, what happens next? But really, that's a question for another day. So that is a brief, but probably quite intense history of the church. Uh, I hope you found it as fascinating as I find it. And in the next few weeks, what we're going to do is dig a bit deeper and uh, focus on uh, some of these time periods in a bit more detail, some of these uh, periods that shaped the church as we know it today. In the meantime, do you have any questions? If so, I would love to try and answer them over the next few weeks. So do get them in quickly. You can Uh, message me via social media or email me at simplefaithpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. That's it for another episode of the Simple Faith Podcast. Uh, It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Have an incredible week. And I will see you next week as we dig deeper into the history of the church.